Welcome to another edition of On the Inside Track. How do we know which choices are ours to make? How do we know the best choices to make? Join me as my guests and I explore defining moments from there to here. I'm Debbie Hazelton on the Inside Track. Well, hello, hello. It is great to be back with you again on the Inside Track. My guest this week is someone that many of you have known from, well, perhaps Main Menu, as he is a co-host, perhaps the Friends in Art Showcase, any number of other ways, as this person has been a part of, well, has been around for a while, and some of you are just getting to know my good friend, Jason Castanguay. Don't give up the ship, even though it may be sinking, and you don't know what to do. Don't give up your dream, even though you may be thinking it may never come true. Life has its own ideas of how things come about, and if you just hang in there, life is gonna work it out. Help is on the way. Welcome, my good friend, to On the Inside Track. Thank you very much for having me. I think that because you and I really are people who thrive on living on the inside track. You're just absolutely a perfect person to have on this show. Somebody who really resonates with what this show is about. It's a very funny story how you and I got to be friends, how you wanted this friendship for over, what, six years or something? Yeah, it was five or six years. And I kept running into you in different places and not knowing it was the same person. (laughs) And I didn't know that. I just assumed you knew. And and, and (laughs) and I was like, oh, maybe she doesn't, but I'm not sure. And it was funny. Oh, my goodness. Wonderful story about our child. Yes. (laughs) Our little quackberry. (laughs) (laughs) So funny. So funny. I never thought it would develop into such a great story. And it does. It does. For those who don't know, was that Louisville? That was Louisville. I think it was in 08, perhaps. And I was at the GW Micro Booth, picked up a Quackberry and brought it to Jason's room because Jason and a whole bunch of people were there wanting aromatherapy goodies and massages mm-hmm. and I went back I went back a second day to give you guys because you bought so much to give you guys some free massages and I brought my quackberry and I left it there mm. I think you took it out to show us I did and we all got a kick out of it yes and, and I never got it back <laughs> and you called me two yep. days after we got home and you said you brought it with you oh my child <laughs> My child, I left my child there and you rescued it. But, you know, then it became your child. Oh, actually, it became our child. It became our child. But so after we were on Twitter and Scott Marshall 
called me up for something one day and and he said, I'm so glad you and Jason are together on Twitter and all kinds of things. And I said, Jason, that's the same Jason. (laughs) (laughs) And then I uh, started putting out on Twitter. So I finally found again, the father of our child. (laughs) Mm, Yes. And I think you even had like a, a clip of the sound of it or something. You did that. You said, oh, I, I said, did how that. is our okay. child? And you said, our child is fine. Let me let you hear him. And you put that <laughs> out there. And somebody wrote you and said, what was that? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. And there was even a point when uh, I, I believe it was, I don't remember when, it, maybe 2011, that I performed on one of the showcases. And you're like, who's this Jason? Who's this Jason guy on the piano? And they said, Jason Castingway. And I'm like, who's that? <laughs> Same guy, the father of our child. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> what are some early influences in your life? Well, when I was a child, um, music was huge. It was very simple, and it was something that I latched onto at a very young age, around three, and probably even before, I just don't remember. Um, and for a long time, I thought, oh, I'm, I'm a musician. That, that's who I am. And as I grew and developed, I started to realize, this was probably in my 20s, I started to realize, wait a minute, music is not who I am. It's part of who I am. And I love it. Absolutely. But I'm more than that. And that was suddenly more interesting than the music. That's interesting. You knew you were more than the music. When when was that? I would say it was starting to develop in my 20s. I think it was very vague at first. I didn't quite understand it. And a lot of times I was talking about how we are more than what we think or that there are so many more things going on than we understand currently because i would say that growing up yes i would say that probably beginning in my late teens and into the 20s fascinating yes and i think a lot of what spurred the awareness was going to college, being on my own, getting out into the world, although college is not the whole world. (laughs) It was certainly a great taste of, wow, being on my own. I don't have to report to anybody. I can explore. I can contemplate. And there's no one here to interrupt me at the moment. And that was when I became more aware of, oh, what's this thing called lucid dreaming? Oh, you know, there's energy. What's this all about? I think that's what really turned me on to there's more to me than just the music. I started doing research you know bookshare was a great resource there were just so many interesting Mm. things on there and i think the first book that really rang every bell was a book from bookshare it was called blind sight and it was all about how blind people who have had near-death experiences report full sight and a lot of them described it not like sight with your two eyes it was an a full awareness including sight That was the beginning of my path, I think, to more and more and more awareness of who I really am. Okay, so you grew up with two brothers, Mm -hmm. and I know you are a twin. Yep. And you have an older brother. Correct. So, were you aware of those feelings even earlier? Earlier, I think maybe there could have been some awareness, but... 
I'd have experiences I didn't know how to explain and I would leave them alone because when I would try to explain them to other people like my parents or something oh that's just that's just your brain or oh that's just this or that or we don't know so don't worry about it or something <laughs> like that you know so I didn't fully explore and I actually became afraid of some of those experiences because I didn't know what they were and I I didn't know why if nobody else was having them why am I having them and all this kind of thing a lot of it had to do with being in a place between sleep and wakefulness and mm-hmm. um, just to feeling certain things or sometimes it would feel kind of like a vibration. I, I just wasn't sure what that was and I just automatically said, oh, well, if nobody else knows what it is, I, I'm kind of afraid of it. Some of that may come out of the imagination and some of it may come out of memory even of of future memories or past lives or any of those things. Did you believe in past lives? Not at the time. I had heard about it growing up um, from other people. They called it reincarnation. And I thought, oh, that's kind of cool. Going to church for me as a child was a chore and something that we were forced to do until we became a certain age where it was like, okay, if you haven't gotten into it by now, well, then it's your own decision or something like that. And it was a Roman Catholic church. And it it wasn't that it was all so horrible, but I just somehow instinctively knew that this was a very limited view of what I considered to be the whole picture. That there's more. I know that at the same time that you are very spiritual and I know that that was when we started to really talk you were already you know definitely into a lot of that and then when we when we did start to talk about God you were kind of like well I kind of want to go there and I kind of don't and um, you know it was it was a lot to kind of move with. Yes um, and I, I think that some of my ease that has come with all of that has come through discussion with you and just learning that, okay, I don't have to hang on to all the stigma that the word God conjures for many, or God can be redefined in an open way. But finding room, it sounds like you found ways to redefine a lot of that for you or to to be able to open that and make it something you could go with in your own way. Yes. When you were little, do you remember having any feelings or beliefs about all that? I think I remember more about feeling like I had to believe some of the things I was told, but I never quite fell for any of that. I I think I believed enough in that I could pray and and it would be heard in some manner. At least I would feel better. I don't remember having my own sense so much. Maybe just a vague idea of a presence that, that... is always there when I need it. So that sense of presence. I know one time that I was thinking of recently, actually, was when I was in a pool and I slipped. And it was before I really learned a whole lot about swimming. Oh, my God, I'm underwater. I'm going to drown. <laughs> you know, when you're a kid, it was, mm-hmm. it was just scary. And so I, I felt like God had helped me find the, the wall and the place to grab onto that I could hoist myself out of the water. There was a time you were really depressed. There was a number of times. Many long, dark nights of the soul, right? <laughs> yeah, yes, indeed. It wasn't a depression that had lasted long, but it was certainly very strong while it was there. And I was in a sort of half-waking state, and 
I felt like, you know what, I have the ability to turn everything off. I'm just going to turn the, you know, shut off the organs, shut the body down, we're done. I felt like I had just gotten started and all of a sudden I heard a voice say, what are you doing? And it wasn't, it wasn't a, a it's hard to describe. It wasn't like this authoritative, what are you doing? You know, it, it wasn't like that. <laughs> it was almost like my own voice, but it took up the entirety of my consciousness. It was just, whoa, you know, what was that? And it jolted me from what I was doing. Um, and I never have gone back there. It mm -hmm. showed me that, okay, um, even though I knew it, sometimes in depression, you forget that, you know, you forget there's so much more. And that was a, a huge reminder as, to, hey, we're, you know, we're looking out for you. You know, what are you doing? And of course, we're not. I felt like I would not have been allowed to do it. I, I think it was meant to, to jolt me and remind me and all sorts of good things. And, and it really, it was wonderful. That's so great. I think it, it we are always ready at some level to establish that connection with the rest of self. Yes. And it can happen in a flicker. And like you said, you never went back. And I think that connection with self, that, that connection, when, when you're feeling depressed, you can forget it. And you can, through the distortion of the depression, just mm -hmm. feel totally disconnected and, and it I, I is a distortion i know you're a big fan of abraham or esther hicks yes i was introduced to that over time i found a book that they wrote called the law of attraction it was esther talking about um her experience with her husband jerry and how they got onto this path themselves and everything about it just rang true to me and i went to their website and learned more and kept learning more and discovered they have the workshops and all of this kind of stuff and that that's really what how it took off for me after that what is it in those teachings that speaks to you i think first of all the teachings are very broad they don't encompass any one particular belief system or another um and so it feels very open and it feels like no matter what religion you might practice uh you can find things about it that fit right into your thinking mm -hmm. um i think that's initially what was so great for me um next um i think it was the empowerment that i felt knowing that okay i have choices and i don't have to allow others to determine how I feel, I, I can determine how I feel, and I can take a certain situation and depending on how I view it, I can feel good about it or I can feel bad about it. And hey, what, what can I do mm -hmm. but control how I feel? It's better than trying to control the external circumstances. That life is life. supposed to feel good. I remember Esther is primarily doing what what she's doing to soothe us. I know for me, um, the feeling I kept having was, oh, and <laughs> that that's about, I mean, it was amazing every time it happened. Was um, it like, uh, like the awe? Like, oh, wow. That kind yes. of feeling? Yes. Yes. Wow. Look at this discovery. 
Yes. And look at oh, how I can rewrite aha. aha. The light bulb moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And and I remember Carolyn Mace saying that she felt that most people are hungry for an awesome spiritual experience. And I think I agree with that. Most people, even if they're religious, they are hungry for that something that will put them in the awe of it all, mm-hmm. where the spirituality will be filled with awesomeness. You know, and that sense of awe, oh, oh, or any of that is like, oh, you know, there's something to behold. There's something new to, it, it, it isn't just same old, same old. Yes. It's constant discovery. And there's there's this feeling of beyondness. Mm-hmm, that you talk about. Mm-hmm. Beyondness. Yeah. That mm-hmm. there's more. Yes. It isn't just the way it seems. I often say, I know I live in the unseen. I know I'm proof. I know I'm proof positive that life is on the unseen or I wouldn't be here. Yes. Because we live in the unseen. We do. We live our lives making all sorts of choices day to day in the unseen, the unseen that we know. But if we didn't, I don't think we would be here. I think that the unseenness is that thing we can't put our finger on exactly all of that non-physical energy mm-hmm. or presence assisting encouraging mm-hmm. coaxing guiding and we are in these physical bodies but we're attached to so much more and so we have all of that resource the little prince said what is essential is invisible to the eye where people are hung up on thinking that evidence is the bottom line Mm. or the top line or you know if evidence says then it must be so i don't i don't give a hoot about what evidence says i yes i i just don't i don't live that way mm-hmm. and i respect that there are people who do i think it's way behind and there mm. are so many things that have not been allowed to be out there in the mainstream that are way beyond what we call scientific knowledge today that we that that is not part of the mainstream Mm-hmm. cures for things we've you and i have read a lot about oh yes people who have been killed for trying to bring those things forward because they interrupt big business mm-hmm. you know absolutely um yeah. we have read all about that and there's so much <laughs> alternative media available these days that will show you these things that's right that's and right. it's funny because i did come from um a background where, yes, um, you need to have evidence. And yet, it was very easy for me to transition from that into a, ooh, how, do, how does my heart feel about this? Or, you know, how, how do I feel in response to this? And, and I, you know, I feel most of everything I've read is, you know, if it's coming from a, a, a place that feels right it, i just it's easy to go it just makes sense it it clicks into place uh and i have forgotten when i go back to my parents <laughs> um it's it's a different story i remember uh, i kind of forgot myself and i was with my my older brother tom who who's a scientist he's a physical chemist and we were talking and he's very very much about going by the book and and having proof of this and and all this kind of stuff and i was talking about how when people have transplants of 
body parts, you know, from a donor to another individual, um, they end up experiencing some of these memories from the other person mm-hmm. uh, and or dreams or, or some kinds of experiences. And to me, it just made so much sense, you know, DNA, um, cellular level kinds of communication, you know, memory, cellular memory, all this kind of stuff. And I just forgotten. And he's all like, what? You know, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. What are you talking about? Uh, and his wife was with him. She's like, oh, you probably saw a funny movie or read a book or something. Oh. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God. It just kind of shut me right down yeah. uh, with with surprise, you know, and, and kind of I had to laugh about it. I, but it, it took me a little bit to get over it. I was like, wow. Mm-hmm. Today, you're out there with your music. I know you taught yourself. Computers and technology were the second area of major, and you taught yourself the Mac and taught yourself Windows and Linux, right, years ago? Yeah. uh, My first computer experience was with an Apple IIe, and that was when I was probably six. And at that time, I didn't know how to type, but by the, the third grade, I had gotten typing lessons and was quite good. And I continued practicing because they were teachers that used the computer and thought it would be good for me to know how to do it as well. Um, my consultant with the Board of Education Services for the Blind and all that. Um, and then it, I still used the Apple, but it was mainly word processing, um, maybe some games, you know, nothing, nothing that compares to what I do now or compares with what I do now. Um, when I was in seventh grade, I started feeling like, gosh, everyone's using these IBM compatible computers. I want to know what that is. And um, I had a friend named Sheree at the time, and she introduced me to her friend Bill. And Bill knew all about these IBM compatible clones. He built them, uh, built me one. And before you knew it, I was using DOS, I was using word processing, I was playing games, I was feeling a little more on par with with a lot of other friends who had IBM computers. And I think at the same time, um, Apple's level of accessibility might have been changing, but I don't know for sure because once I got onto IBM, I kind of forgot about the Apple for a while. And then seventh grade was probably 92 or 93. And then by 95, the internet was taking the world by storm, or at least my area of the world. And I wanted to know how to do that. (laughs) I got on board with that. And that's where my initial understanding of Unix came from, which is the mainframe version of Linux, as as far as I understand it. But at least... They they may be different, but their command structures are very similar. And it was like DOS on steroids. I mean, you could you could do all these command line driven tasks, and you could even multitask and do all sorts of neat things. And so, in I think ninety seven, I learned about Linux, and I could put it on my own machine at home, and that was very exciting to me because it was much more interesting than DOS. Gosh, I was running Linux for a long time, and then. I think 10 years later, got back into the Mac, which the underlying OS is Linux as well. Mm -hmm. So you can have the fun graphical interface of the Mac, but you can drop down to the prompt where you can use all those wonderful Linux command line utilities that you're used to. You taught yourself. That's what's amazing to me. You just went in and figured a lot of this out on your own. I learned very quickly, especially 
with a, with a lot of computer stuff, you just poke around and and you may screw up a few times, but you can get it. And there's documentation. I was always quite interested in reading documentation. Isn't that yeah. crazy? Yeah. I think most people can't really stand it. <laughs> and I don't know where that comes from. It just... I say to myself, oh, if I want to know how it works, I better read the documentation. (laughs) You did that kind of alongside of your music. What did you want to do with your music? Well, when I was younger, I thought, I want to be a star. I want to be a performer. (laughs) I am in a a different way than I was was thinking. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, I I wanted to be on stage, doing concerts, all this kind of Mm -hmm. stuff. And then as I became aware of knowing that there was so much more I started realizing based on what I was hearing from other performers too that it's not it's not this glamorous thing there are lots of other stuff going on with that do you really want that and the wanting to know more became much more interesting than pursuing all of that you're not one that likes to sit there for hours. You don't like to sit really anywhere for hours that I know. <laughs> you no. want to be up and moving around. Up. I think for me, one of the most interesting times was when, where I was living, I ended up having a lot of alone time as I discovered the, the moreness, the, the awareness of more. And so with all this alone time, at first I'm like, oh my God, what do I do? Um, and there, it was in an area where the uh, public transportation was non-existent mm-hmm. and neither was the um, paratransit. And it was like, oh, what do I do? What do I do? And that kind of forced me in a wonderful way to turn inward. Mm-hmm. And that is where a lot of discovery took place and a lot of amazing experiences. Mm-hmm. And so many of those, oh, oh, aha moments. Yes. Yes, I know you meditate, and I know you like the singing bowls. I mean, we both do. Yes, I think that kind of awoke the spark that said, oh, vibration, this is vibration. Mm -hmm. These are frequencies, this is focus, the the sounds are healing in effect, and and." To me, it kind of boils down to vibration, and, and when we get these these pure vibrations, pure focus going, all sorts of miracles can be achieved. Sometimes we hold on to things that, in order for us to move forward, need to be uh, transmuted, transformed, let go of. And throughout my experience, I have discovered that I have been doing just that. Not only have I been growing, but I have been letting go. I don't think I'm doing it myself. I think I'm being helped also. One of the big things for me was my father wasn't a very nice person, very temperamental, could be really nasty and verbally abusive and sometimes physically abusive. I held on to a lot of, of anger and resentment. It was during a meditation that I'm not even sure how it got started. I think I was planning on something else and this came in. An awareness of being with him And he said, Jason, I love you very much. And it just splattered all the other stuff. It just totally trumped all of that. And it gave me an awareness that he doesn't know any better. I don't know what his growing up experiences were like. And he's just, you know, uh, Abraham would say, banging around, trying to figure it out. Having that knowledge, I don't have to try to understand I I can just know if he was in a really good place, he probably wouldn't have done all of that. He's feeling pretty awful. That's why he's lashing out like that. I think he feels so unloved. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and and yet, if if you were to just tell him you love him, uh, you know, I don't know that he would understand or hear it in the way because he might have a hang up about. I mean, he never he never told us that I remember that he loved us or um, well, he may anything not like feel that. Love able, you know, mm. lovable, mm-hmm. love able. And if mm. he doesn't feel love able, then he may not know what to do with it if you tell him that, and or if you or if in for him to give it you know he it's pretty hard for people to give what they don't have exactly thank you it's been a pleasure to be here and and we have someone who wants to say hello oh good hello yeah he's happy He's really, oh, he's thrilled because he haven't gotten, gotten to talk to you in a while. You tried to bring him, you wanted me to keep him. Yes. You know, for a while. And I said, no, 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 no. He's happy with you. Aww. That's right. I think, I think that worked out quite well, but I, I was perfectly too. happy to let him I stay know, with mommy for a no, while. No, no, no. Thank you so much for being here on the Inside Track.